0: I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm excited to be here today with Danielle Gannick, who is the author of two novels, Lulu Meets God and Doubts Him, and The Summer We Read Gatsby. A self-reclaimed bookaholic, Danielle, a former magazine editor, currently lives in New York with her husband and children. So thanks, Danielle. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have
1: Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you've written these two amazing novels, Lulu Meets God and Doubts Him from 2007, and also the summer we read Gatsby from 2010. So let's start a little bit with Lulu Meets God and Doubts Him, which is really a funny take on the Manhattan art scene with this little death twist thrown in there. So tell me about how you came up with the idea for that novel and how your own experience as an art collector kind of informed the writing of it.
1: Yeah, well, I'm so always so interested in writing about women who wrestle with their creative ambitions. And I'm particularly fascinated, obviously, with writers and people who are doing it with writing. But working with art and wanting that, sort of wanting to express yourself through art was is something that I've, in all of the characters that I explore, I'm always trying to get inside that kind of thing and maybe just understand it for myself but create characters who are trying to do that. So that was where I had started a long time ago and I think you would ask me how long it took in that novel in a way it took 20 years because I kind of had you know always wanted to be a novelist and came to New York out of college with that plan and then started working at jobs and magazines and things and I was writing all along but I hadn't really written in the long form so it was a long process over a long period of time of kind of wrestling with those kinds of characters and and those kinds of stories and I had this idea that was sort of to put that kind of a character behind one of those desks in a gallery that was very high and sort of off-putting and it was so unlike what she was like but she would be sort of there observing everything from this behind the scene where you might not even really notice that she was there. So I liked that way of looking at that world through her very observational lens.
0: I feel like The women sitting at the desks when you walk into art galleries are a little bit intimidating, to
1: be honest. Like, I feel like I'm like, am I allowed to come in here? Is it like a private, do I need an appointment? Like, Well, that's what I was trying to play with. And I like, you know, even the door that's hard to open and the sort of attractive woman at the desk that makes it look like you shouldn't be there. And all of that is kind of a, seems unnecessary in a way and and unconducive to the conversation about art and about, you know, kind of connecting through art. So my narrator and, and this character is so... So not like that, but it's in her mind, like at least it's a way to be in that world, although it's not a realistic path to becoming a painter, which is what she wants to do. But she's so caught up in her own kind of anxiety about whether she's allowed to be an artist and who's allowed to be an artist and, you know, whether she's good enough and all of those things that I think make that kind of character interesting.
0: This is like when I interned at Vanity Fair and after like <laughs> two days I was like, there is no path from interning at Vanity Fair to being a writer. <laughs>
1: like Is that right? That's how I felt. I, I was know like that you did that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a I cool a I mean, that's an amazing internship that it was impossible to get. It was yeah.
0: amazing. It was really interesting. But I was like putting the little, you know, slides from the fashion department
1: into the yes. little sleeves. I did that back. job. You I mean, did I, that. I was an assistant <laughs> in a magazine, yeah. like, you know, and I learned the same thing. It was hard to go from one to the other. Yeah, like, yeah.
0: I better find another way yeah, to yeah,
1: <laughs> go know. about it.
0: So that was your impetus for Lulu Meets God and Doubt Him. In the summer we read Gatsby, that's a different story altogether about half-sisters Cassie and Peck, and they inherit their aunt's home in the Hamptons. Although you have this funny thing in the book about how, well, no one really calls it the Hamptons, right. and the country, <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. I actually read this book with a book group I started out of the Children's Museum of the East End. Oh really? That summer. So oh, wow. yeah, oh, I had like little God. kids. I had my twins were so little, and I had all these people over to my house from like recruited through C- and We all read your book, so oh, it's like so God. nice now all these I years later. Um, fantastic. To have you sitting so here.
1: Lovely. Thank you.
0: So how did you go? Like, what inspired that book?
1: So this one was a little different but it, it very much came out of my own autobiography in terms of I grew up I'm American but I you know I grew up living in foreign countries as an American but not in the way that we know now where there's internet and all this connectivity to the you know the world is a lot more flat and you know that you kind of know like pop culture and and all the references are sort of there I grew up you know in the 70s and 80s living in South America and in Europe as an American. So I was a foreigner there. So I became very much of an observer. And that was sort of honed all this Mm -hmm. kind of trying to figure out the world and trying to write about it and trying to understand it. But I was mostly felt like a foreigner in the States when I would come back on the rare occasions, we would come back. And one of the ways that I really tried to connect with my own country and my own culture was through books. And books were always my sort of way of connecting we didn't i mean we had television but there wasn't a lot on television we got movies you know late dubbed every now and again they'd be in english with subtitles in french but you know it wasn't always so easy to access pop culture so i liked the idea of this character coming here and trying to figure this all out with this half society. i liked the idea of being related to somebody that you actually don't know at all and then i was also really fascinated by the, the you know we're here in this beautiful place it's so intoxicating and there's this kind of history of art and artists and people making art out here. And I liked the idea of, you know, there's a painting in the book that they inherit, in the house they inherit it, that they they know it could be a Pollock. It's You know, most likely it's not, but maybe it is. And they go on this sort of adventure of trying to figure out if it is. And that was something that was really interesting to me, like a painting that could be or could not be maybe a $50 million painting or something that, you know, in their minds. I mean, obviously, if it was really a Pollock, you would probably know. But there was that, Period of time where there were all these sort of undiscovered pollocks being discussed. So I wondered if maybe they could have found one. Why did you move around so much as a child? My father worked for American companies. So, but in, we lived in Brazil when I was young, and then I grew up in Switzerland, and then I came to the States. To go to college, but my family was still there, so I was going back and forth.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, are yeah. they here? Did
1: they? Ever- they are. Yeah, my my parents live in Florida now. Are they?
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> these yeah. these exciting adventures. Now they're just like in a community in Palm Beaches. I think or that's, I think so- that's <laughs> what they think too, <laughs> or my mother does anyway. Yeah, I feel like that's something that a lot of writers share is the sense of sort of the observing nature, mm-hmm. yeah. seeing, and maybe because of being an actual outsider, or just the, you're born with us gene, but there's something about being able to take it all in and synthesize it that, I don't know. I mean, maybe you would have done that even if you hadn't been traveling. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I I don't know. But I do think that is something that seems to be, everyone that I know that writes, particularly that writes fiction, seems to have this kind of, well, like Joan Didion calls writers the silent bullies. Like there is this sort of thing of paying attention and then almost kind of wanting to put on the page, like, see... I was paying attention the whole time. Like I saw all that, you know, like there's something about kind of wanting or, or or, and also just processing that way, like kind of trying to make sense of the world around you, especially when you grow up like sort of without a lot of necessarily a lot of talking points, like some families just don't discuss that much about, you know, here's how we do things or here's how the world works, you know. So you're trying to figure that out. That's really interesting. <laughs> the
0: first line of the summary read Gatsby is, hats, like first husbands, in my experience, are usually a mistake, which is like the best opening line. Talk to me, talk to me about that.
1: Well, I sort of thought that that line kind of encompassed what this narrator learned over that summer in a way, which was this kind of ability and maybe a coping mechanism of, you know, making a quip, making a pithy line out of your pain and your misery. And the theme that I was really trying to explore what I was trying to explore maybe for myself was this idea of like, Making anecdotes out of your life and out of your story, and you are the author of the story of your life. and how are you going to write that narrative? You can choose to write it a lot of different ways, the same facts, different interpretations. And what does that do to how you live your life if you're, you know, thinking of it one way versus another way? So I kind of thought she's also very self-deprecating. so she knows she's not going to look good in a hat. You know, she's told she has to wear a hat. She knows it's a bad idea. and In that way that we kind of talk ourselves into bad ideas, like maybe even in relationships where we tell ourselves that everything's going to be okay or that this looks fine or that this husband is a good idea, even though we know it's not. So I think that's very much part of her character, which is, you know, kind of trying to put a round peg into a square hole kind of thing, trying to fit something in when you know it's actually not.
0: So Cassie, who you were just talking about, Peck's dad left her mom for Cassie's mom, right? Did right. I get that right? Okay. Yes. And Cassie thinks that Peck sort of holds a long-term grudge about that. So when Peck says to Cassie, she says, I've always been insanely jealous of you. I wish I could waltz down here with no makeup and an old nighty and stringy wet hair and look like that. And then Cassie says, it was the kind of thing she said, but didn't really mean. So I feel like there's always this subtext to everything that happened with these girls in Southampton that summer. Like, not really saying what they mean. Cassie,
1: never saying what never they mean, Never saying basically. what they mean. And yeah. Cassie
0: having to rely on Peck to show her the ropes when she's really not re- a trusted guide at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So I was wondering if somebody had shown you the ropes, like perhaps when you were coming back from all these trips, or if you just had to figure it all out yourself. Did you have somebody like a Peck in your life? Well, and not I not really? wanted
1: that. I think mm-hmm. we all kind of... Maybe crave that, and particularly when we're young and we're like trying to figure things out. And and you know, you sort of want somebody who has this broader lens through which they look to kind of explain it to you. And then as you grow up and become an adult and kind of figure this out, and this is part of being in your twenties and leaving behind that lens of childhood, you end up realizing that actually most people bring all their own stuff. To their own lens and they're all looking at it, you know, everyone's basically the unreliable narrator in their own story. And I think that's part of what this character realizes over the course of that summer. That, like, in the end, she's gonna have to be the her own narrator, she's gonna have to figure it out. And yes, she can listen to all this input, but she's, you know, listening to it with an ear for who the source is. Know your sources and know your audience, you know, are good rules that she brings to her, you know, she's a journalist and so she's studied those kind of rules of interpreting facts and using them, but she's still in that relationship caught up in the emotional thing and she really wants to connect to the sister, you know, so there's that. And then the sister keeps, Peck keeps sort of pushing her off with these kind of quips, like she's not really jealous, but she probably is on some level. So in a way, it's not that she doesn't mean it, it, that she's kind of it's a little bit of a jab, like you know, but but you, but it's passive aggressive, so you can't react to it, you know, like all of that. Very familiar kind of, yeah. with the passive yeah. aggressive yeah. Communic- yes. communication <laughs> yeah. style,
0: exactly as a recipient mostly, but <laughs> yes, <I'm> fully aware. <laughs> um, so Cassie's aunt Lydia encouraged her to write. She was a, an English teacher at a boys' school, and she says to her, "Start early, get a first novel under your belt now." And she said that when Cassie was mm-hmm. nine. So when did you? Get your start. Did you, were
1: you writing at all when you were nine? I think I was nine, and I think that's kind of where that came from when I kind of realized, A, how really valuable books were for me and, and how that was going to be kind of a way to sort of save myself from, you know, a lot of sort of tragedy and, and stuff in life that was going to be hard to deal with, that I could escape into books, and that also by writing and trying to write and trying to make sense of things through putting words on the page – I could maybe figure out some things that I wasn't going to be able to otherwise figure out. So I think I started at nine. But also I think I wanted to try to capture, because this character of Lydia, again, maybe as you're saying that about wanting somebody to be a guide, I think she was this fictional person. She sort of personified that guidance that I think we all want. And she was like, you know, the way a really good teacher and the way that somebody who is, very well read and kind of knows about the world will share things so i think i was trying to personify it in that character she dies but but she she's present and in that idea that like as picasso says like that all you know children are artists and it's become it's when you become the keeping trying to keep that when you're a grown up that's hard like that sense of wonder that children bring to the world and trying to hold on to that like if you can start to capture it when you're young you can maybe hold on to it more easily later. If you've never tried to do that, tried to put into words, sort of craft a fiction about the life that you're witnessing, it might be harder to do it later.
0: And did you find as you went on through your life that writing and reading did protect you from tragedy or from feeling
1: the effects of that more? Did it mitigate any of the intensity of that? I don't know that it protects you from tragedy, but I do think that mitigating the effects or... Or processing the effects. I really, really believe in the power of the written word, and I believe that it can help everybody, and that you don't necessarily have to be a fiction writer to benefit from crafting your story in some way or another. And I, I'm actually really trying to explore that right now because I really do think that it helps. And in those days, also, you know, therapy wasn't quite as you know, common and people weren't actually you know, necessarily doing that in the same way, or at least not in the world that I was living in. So, this idea of being a place to express yourself throughout your life, I think, it's really important. I think you know that's an idea that I was really exploring in Lulu was this idea that creativity is how you connect to God or you know connect to whatever your idea of the spiritual is.
0: So, why is it now 2019 and you haven't like? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you Where not? Where have you been? What are you been well, doing? Yeah. I, well, yeah. I'm, these books were really good, and you obviously had momentum, and you've cho- you chose. I'm assuming you chose to go and well. Why did I not assume anything? <laughs> what happened? Let me
1: try this again. What happened after yeah. the publication
0: of the when you read Gatsby? What, what What have you been up to since then? Maybe I should say it a different way. Um, and-
1: I know,, no, and you it, it's a totally legitimate question, and I do ask myself that a little bit. And it's not that I haven't been writing because I have I haven't necessarily been writing that well, and I didn't necessarily write my way to a finished product that worked as an experience for a reader, if that makes sense. And I also went through, you know, just sort of some, personal stuff and some difficult challenges in life that made writing for me a place that I could escape to and to so so I was using it maybe for a different reason in those times which also didn't necessarily land me at the end of it with a novel that worked I've written some unsuccessful Works during that period and do still want to work on some of the stuff that I was working on then in a, in a more productive way, which is what I'm doing now. But I still felt that the benefits of writing were there, if that makes sense. And so now I'm also trying to explore how that, how I might share that with other people and how that can really be a way to, as I said, process, but also make sense of and. Put your emotions in a place that maybe you can even help other people and at least help yourself kind of figure out what's going on, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Which it totally doesn't makes sound sense. like it does.
0: No, <laughs> yeah. It totally makes yeah. sense. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. When you wrote these books, obviously your kids were much younger, right, obviously. Right. So I've, I'm just wondering since I have kids ranging from four to 12, what happens as they get older? Do you actually have more free time to write and structure your time? How does it change as your kids really? Get older and you get part of your life back in terms of yeah. writing and
1: it's interesting. I mean, you know that adage of like small children, small problems; big children, big problems. The the issues and the time constraints and the time the the demands on your time change, and so it's not as much like it's it's, it's a sort of like difference between quantity and quality in a way. Mm-hmm. And you have to you know like anything you know you when you work for yourself you have to you know, do all the things that you have to keep at that kind of, you know, self-discipline and all of that. But you do, your your time, your time definitely changes and your relationship to time definitely changes. And you definitely have more time to read. And if you're a writer, it's so great because reading is your work. So you, when you're reading, you're working. So that's kind of a way that, so I never really stopped reading, but I was able to put it in this you know, it's work, so I had to do it. And you, you seem like you've really mastered this, you know, sort of the issue of time and time management being so challenging we were talking about before. I don't know that that goes away, but I think it does get, like you get better at it when because you've done it for longer also.
0: I know? have not mastered anything, <laughs> just well, FYI. I, I am fitting it in. But.
1: Time is clearly such a big part of your, you know, what you're doing with the podcast and everything. And I time is such a big issue for all of us, you know, whether we have kids or not kids, working working in an office, working at home, wherever you're working, whatever you're doing, time just is a huge paradox to me.
0: Well, it's also such a finite, like, you can't do anything about it. You can't get more time. You can't, like... fix you you can't barter you can't
1: manipulate it you You can't can't, can't, magical thinking is is not going to make it take more time or less time to do something i had a really interesting conversation with my daughter the other day who's 18 you know who's like i don't understand how you can live in the moment and plan for the future and i'm like oh my god that is exactly the one of the big you know questions of life you're going to wrestle with it for the rest of your life i'm still trying to figure that out it's so true. Yeah.
0: I feel like I first really realized this when my twins were like two weeks old and I was at a wedding and I had to like pump in the trailer bathroom situation. Oh my God. And I was really like, much. I have to do this for like 10 minutes. I have to at least do 10 minutes or I'm you know I'm going to be miserable. And there are all these people like banging oh on, my them, God. on the thing. And I'm like, <laughs> oh whatever I do, I cannot make 10 minutes go any faster than 10 minutes. Right. And it was, a, right. it was really just like, I have to surrender to time. Yes. And, and as a parent, that's like, you know, it's like, I was felled, like sort of on my knees from that moment on. It's like you can't rush it. I don't know. I feel like perhaps I do spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about time. Because I spend
1: so much time thinking about time. And I read this really interesting book called The Time Paradox. I'm forgetting the name of the author. I usually if I mention a book, I like to remember the author's name. And I apologize, I don't remember it because I read it a while ago. But it's kind of about that exact thing. Like, you know, there's so many paradoxes built into our relationship with time. But it, it is fixed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, no arguing it. It's a with scarce it. resource. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah. yeah, you can't.
1: Yeah. Uh, but yeah. anyway... <laughs>
0: Also, I feel like when you published these books, it was before Instagram was like the be all end all in the yes. publishing world. Have yeah. you sort of adopted, like if you were to go back or if you could do, if you would do it now, are you like raring to go with Instagram or you sort of, did you prefer it back the way it was when like
1: books I'm were so just. I'm scared of Instagram. One, one reason I'm scared of Instagram is the time thing that we were just discussing. Because True, yes. I point. don't know how to like go on it and then not lose track of time. So I don't really go on Instagram at the moment and I'm not, I, I think I'm on it, but I'm not like on it. Right. I don't post things and I'm missing out on a whole party that I need to try to figure out how to attend without losing, getting lost in it, you know? So I'm not, I don't, I'm not the person to figure that out, but I do want to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it
0: must've been much easier before now, I mean, I feel like there's this daily attention you now have to pay to something else as an author that is new. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like true. it must have been a Some lot easier Some people do before.
1: it really well, and it's a, it seems like a really like a wonderful way to connect with yeah. your readers. No, not to
0: say there aren't amazing yeah. benefits to it, yeah. but just as like, you know...
1: A part-time job. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and, and there's this, uh, you know, I, I watch this with young people. Like, I just think it's so hard to be constantly thinking of yourself as a brand, whether you're a writer or you're just a person trying to be a student or whatever you are when you're 15, 16, 17. You're conscious of your brand at this point. And you're, they're, you know, they're very, they need to be very aware. They, we, all of us. And sometimes I think people really don't get it. They don't understand what they're revealing. And, you know, as a writer that A, fascinates me, B, terrifies me because, you know, like images are so powerful and being conscious of what you're putting out in the world, you can get so self-conscious, which is probably where I am, which is ridiculous also. And sort of like get over yourself and no one really cares because they're scrolling by you in one half of a second. So they're not even really seeing it anyway. No one's really thinking about it that much. Well, I think it's normal to feel
0: like self-conscious
1: before throwing yourself up on. I mean, I would I be you should maybe I some mean, people should yeah. more. <laughs> yeah.
0: So in terms of books, have you read anything great lately that you want to talk about or you don't have. The, to?
1: One one of the books I loved this summer that I think and you did her on your, I don't know if you've aired the podcast, but I know you mentioned you had done podcasts with Lori Gottlieb and Yes, um, maybe you yes. should talk to someone.
0: Yes, I aired it yeah. last week. Did you? Yes, yeah. I aired it. Yes, it's out there. It's out it there. Yes, and I
1: just I was so maybe you
0: should.
1: I don't know her. I'm not. You know, I don't have any connection to her. I just loved the book and I loved that form of writing, which is one that I've trying to explore a lot this summer in what I'm reading, but also for myself, which is sort of. I mean, she writes wonderfully as a memoirist, but she's a psychotherapist as she writes about the therapy world she writes about her patients and it all kind of comes together in this kind of great it's sort of memoir self-help lifestyle guide i don't know psychology interpretation i i've just found it so satisfying as a reader
0: See, I feel like maybe you should write about some of the stuff that you are saying is like unsuccessful and hidden away. And maybe right. you should I be like,
1: it. I think that is where like I'm trying to go. Maybe like more like, I don't know, like I'm interested. in that way and, and how that can be helpful. Just kind of like that idea that sharing your own story, which some of us find really, really hard to do. Like I've always sort of looked at memoirists and absolute awe and amazement and, you know, I just, couldn't even imagine mining your own life in that overt way and putting it on the page but there's something so generous about that when people do that and it's kind of at the core of all of our human connection is sharing our stories and finding a way to connect in that realm on the page I think it's, it's such an interesting way to connect and I, I definitely want to explore that more it's really interesting yeah
0: yeah. Do you have advice to novelists, aspiring novelists based on your two
1: fantastic books? Yeah, well, one thing that I always do try to say is what are you aspiring to? And I think you and I talked about this also like writing a novel, especially novels, especially in the long form. It's a really a very solitary pursuit. You spend hours, many, many of them In a room alone with characters that you've created, with a world you've created. And if you enjoy doing that, but most people, when I start to say that, I'm like, most of the time, what I would say is, Do you like to be, you know, spend time alone? Oh, no, 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 I hate that. I can't stand it. And I'm like, Well, I don't think that you are aspiring to write a novel. I think you are aspiring to have written a novel. Mm -hmm. And those are different things. But if you enjoy that, I think, you know, it's that old thing that pretty much every writer who writes about writing says, like, then write it. You know, it's it's about sitting down and writing it, not talking about writing it, not avoiding writing it, writing it, and then rewriting it, and then rewriting it. And also, I, I, I've read every book there is to read about writing. And those, I mean, there's just so many wonderful ones to read. So reading writers about their writing and their process is so great.
0: I don't feel like, not that, I mean, I'm not a novelist at all, but whenever I'm writing, no, I'm I'm really not, but I don't feel alone when I'm writing. Like, I'm so engaged. Exactly. It's almost like if you're watching a movie, it doesn't matter if you're alone or not. You're like in
1: the story. you're exactly right. right? So So it's not like I'm
0: sitting alone in a room, like bored. You're like sitting in a room watching Netflix or something. Right, right,
1: (laughs) absolutely, yes. And if you are the sort of person that, feels that way when you're alone in that room with your characters, then I think then yes, you should keep at it should, and you, yeah. you're gonna enjoy it. But if you're the kind of person that gets in a panic, yes. Like because you're not you're not putting the Netflix on at that moment. Right. Or, you right, know, right whatever. Right. Yes. And you have to create it has to come out of your own head and you're like, ah, then maybe that's not what you really want to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing you your so much story and experience. Me. And I really did. I mean, I feel like the summer you read Gatsby should come out like every summer. Aww, it was, No, it's just so such nice. a lovely, great story and like the coming of age in the 20s, but also the Hamptons. And I don't know. I, it has stuck with me all this time. So,
1: Well, I love your podcast. Oh, so <laughs> I think we should keep talking about books, and it's just so much fun. Thank you so much thank for Thank you. Me.
0: You don't have to say that. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to Moms
0: Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.